Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter three, the invitation. By the time Harry arrived in the kitchen, the three Dursleys were already seated around the table. None of them looked up as he entered or sat down. Uncle Vernon's large red face was hidden behind the morning's Daily Mail, and Aunt Petunia was cutting a grapefruit into quarters, her lips pursed over her horse-like teeth. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Before we start this week's episode, we have a special announcement from a special guest. We do have a special guest. We have... Casper Turkile. Casper, before we start today's episode, you have something you want to tell our wonderful community. I do. Thank you so much, Matt and Vanessa. It's such a joy to be back with you very briefly to share that I am launching a new project called The Nearness, which is a digital community to help people connect more deeply with themselves, the people they love, and the world around them. So if you've been wanting to tend to your spirituality in a small group journey, we're launching that this fall. And between the 8th and the 25th of September, you can sign up at thenearness.coop if you want to join our small group journey to help deepen your spirituality. It's going to be a lot of fun. Each week, there'll be a 90-minute virtual conversation with a small group of fellow participants, and you'll be guided through a series of ritual conversations with a little bit of audio, some monthly workshops, and lots of practices around gratitude, listening to your body, and mutual support and accountability. So if you've been looking for a way to deepen your spirituality, please visit thenearness.coop and uh, sign up. I hope you'll be there. I think that this is such a special offering that you're making to our community and to more secular folks who are still really interested in spirituality. And I'm just always so proud of the work that you do and so impressed with you. And I really hope that people check it out. Thenearness.coop. Thanks, Vanessa. Love you. I love you. And Matt, we have one announcement before we start today. Not competing with Casper, but in cooperation with Casper. 
And that is a big one. Our Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Pilgrimage, in which we are going to be talking about Goblet of Fire, is available for you to register. And so is a Pride and Prejudice Pilgrimage. Both will be in April of 2023. The Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Pilgrimage will be with Casper Turkile and me, Vanessa Zoltan. And the Pride and Prejudice one will be with Margaret H. Willison. You can find out more at readingandwalkingwith.com. Vanessa, I am so relieved that we get to hear a story about relief from you <laughs> now. Yeah. So Matt, as you know, I had a book come out a little over a year ago now. And as much as like a little kid dreams about anything specific, I really, from a very young age, wanted to write and wanted to write a book. And my grandfather on my father's side was a writer. And so this was an accomplishment that also meant a lot to my father. The kids were very excited. Peter was very excited. I had a lot of friends who were being very supportive. And with that, you know, like there was a lot of anxiety building up to the day that the book came out. And I spoke to several people who had written books, and it was really interesting how varying the experiences were of people. But a lot of people describe their book coming out as a day filled with a lot of like pain and anxiety. And, you know, God bless Peter, because he put up with months of me talking about promoting the book and what it would be like when it came out and what was the worst case scenario and what was the best case scenario and sort of dreaming, but also catastrophizing. And a very funny thing happened, which is that we were in bed one night about 10 days before my book was going to come out. And I turned to him and I was like, you know what? I think that it's going to feel a lot like tonight. I think our lives are just not really going to change. I think it's going to be this beautiful thing that's out in the world, but I don't think it's going to be like a switch flips and suddenly I'm this different person. And he was like, really? And I was just like, yeah. And he was like, are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah. And this overwhelming sense of relief just sort of came over me because the pressure was off with that realization. And because of that, I was able to actually enjoy my book release day. Casper really beautifully did an event with me to celebrate it. I had some friends come over. You helped me promote the book, Ariana, and AJ helped me promote the book. It, it just felt like joyful rather than this albatross or like this stressful thing that was looming in front of me. And so that moment of relief just came, you know, not tied at all to the date of the book release and really not tied to anything other than just this realization that I had that not that it wouldn't matter, but that I didn't need to put all this pressure on it because I like the rest of my life. Yeah. Relief is is a form of happiness, but it is a particular kind of happiness, right? Like we'll visit Etymology Corner quickly here, but the word relief comes from the Latin, which means to lift or to raise, right? And relief is tied to like some kind of burden being lifted, right? And I think what you're describing in the story and what I think the story illustrates really well is like the relief didn't come from either the book coming out or the reception of the book going one way or another. It was just the burden was lifted. It was lifted because of this realization, not because of anything else that happened in the world. Just the realization lifted the burden. And the lifting of the burden, that's where the feeling of pleasure or contentment or happiness came from, right? And so that's, that's one of the things that I think we ought to track as we think through relief in this chapter. It's like, where are the places where people, characters or folks in this chapter, where they feel burdens, imagined or real? And where are those things lifted, right? How are they lifted? 
Well, Vanessa, thanks for that story. I will be relieved when I am done with a 30-second recap. I'll be relieved when you're done with it, too. A burden will be lifted. Yeah. A burden will be lifted from both of us and from our listeners. <laughs> okay. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, so Harry comes down to breakfast and everyone's at breakfast and no one cares that he's there. And they're eating grapefruit because the nurse sent home a report and there's some very um, uh, uh, unhappy sort of fat phobia in this part of the chapter. And then someone comes to the door and there's a bunch of stamps on the letter. And it's from Molly and says, ask if Harry can come. And Vernon's like, no, you can't come. But Harry's like, oh, I'll just send a letter to, to my godfather. He's like, OK, you can come. And then he goes upstairs and there's a there's a tiny owl with another letter from Ron that says, hey, we're coming to get you regardless. And Harry's very happy. Well done. Thanks. I got hung up on trying to describe the really kind of upsetting middle third, maybe more than a third of this chapter. But we'll get to that in our theme conversation. <laughs> Vanessa. Yes. Are you ready? I am. Let me count you in. Thank you. Three, two, one, go. So Harry is being abused by the Dursleys. But don't worry, the Weasleys have invited him to the Quidditch World Cup. And... Vernon is like, I like to have you miserable, but even more than I like to have you miserable, I like to have you out of the house. Fine, you can go, but they better come and pick you up. And Ron is like, don't worry, we're definitely coming to pick you up. And Hedwig is really annoyed by Pigwidgeon, and um, Harry has a bunch of cakes hidden on the floorboard, and poor Errol helped bring those to him because he's been starving all summer and he got stuff for his birthday. Poor Errol. Well done to both of us, Matt. Are you as relieved as you anticipated feeling? That's a good question. Am I really? I know. I feel like I feel like I'm already thinking about next week's 30 second recap. It's a fleeting sense of relief because wow. the 30 second recaps just are they're always on the horizon. They keep on coming. Wow. Being you sounds exhausting. <laughs> I need relief. You know, what would give me some relief. A theme conversation. Well, great. I mean, to me, Matt, the most obvious relief comes for Harry in this invitation that arrives, right? He is in the middle of just sort of a miserable summer. Dudley is being starved, but so is Harry by proxy. He, you know, is having his birthday ignored again. We don't get a ton into his treatment, but like, it can't be good. He's at the Dursleys. And this letter arrives and it's this magical letter it is like indicative of the magical world, you know, and it's indicative of Molly's ignorance of how the muggle world works, which I think is a really beautiful thing. And he is going to get to go to the Quidditch World Cup. And to me, this speaks to like the line between relief and excitement, right, or relief and glee, because he's just so relieved to be able to leave this house. And I think he would be relieved and happy even if it was just to go to the Weasleys. But on top of that, he has this news about the Quidditch World Cup. I think that's right. But it's even more than that. I mean, it's not just his unhappiness and being in this house where he's mistreated, right? It's also, you know, we read last chapter that he's worried about his scar hurting, right? Yeah. Like, there's the general situation of his unhappiness at the Dursleys. There's also the immediate situation of him just being awakened by pain in his scar. And the only time that's ever happened is... When Voldemort was around, and so he's writing this letter to Sirius, but he doesn't really say what he wants to say to Sirius. He's feeling a lot of tension and concern. He's feeling a lot of tension and concern at the end of the last chapter. And this letter just kind of diffuses a lot of that because he knows there's something else to look forward to. He's going to see his friends. He's going to be with people he wants to be with. And he's going to do so in an exciting and fun wizarding place. But, I mean, I think that the last line of the chapter really 
really speaks to how both the burdens of the general circumstance and the immediate circumstance are given some relief through the arrival of this letter, or both letters, Molly's and Ron's. The last line of the chapter is, it was hard just now to feel worried about anything, even Lord Voldemort, right? So like all these things are lifted. If we're thinking about this idea of lifting as part of what relief is, like the arrival of this letter just means means he doesn't have to pay attention to these things so much, Mm -hmm. right? He knows he got the better of Vernon. He knows that he can be distracted for a while, the Quidditch World Cup, and he doesn't have to think about Voldemort. Whereas if he was going to be at the house for two weeks on his own or three weeks or whatever, he would just perseverate over and over about his scar and think, right, he knows he doesn't get some distractions and that's got to be some relief too. Yeah. And I, I think some relief for Sirius. You know, this is a PS that Harry adds to his letter to Sirius. He wrote the yeah. letter in the last chapter being like, hey, my scar is hurting. Last time my scar hurt, it meant that Voldemort was near and he can't possibly be near her. And it must be nice for Sirius, you know, he's reading this letter one day and at the end it's like, but P.S. I'm going to the Quidditch World Cup with my best friend. And if you care about a kid, like that's just going to be such a relief that he's with adults who care about him, who can protect him and that he's just going to have some joy. Yeah. Which is another thing about relief, right, is that you can feel it on someone else's behalf. I think that's right. I'm sure that Sirius will be relieved to read that about Harry. I think it's a relief for Harry to write it to Sirius, too, because one of the things we talked about last week was how Sirius isn't like he's the only parental figure Harry has, but he's not really a parental figure. There's not the, the level of trust where he can really be vulnerable. And so one of the things that we talked about last week was how his letter to Sirius was kind of hiding what he really wanted to say. And this postscript gets to Make it sound like his life is perfect. These are these impossible tickets to come by. A lot of wizards want to go to the World Quidditch World Cup, and a lot of them can't. But he gets to because he knows somebody and he's going to be with friends. Like, this is exactly the picture of himself he wants to send to his godfather. Like, look at me, a thriving wizard with lots of people around me doing exciting things. Right? That's what he wants Sirius to think about him. And so it's a relief to him, even if it further covers the actual message that he's trying to get to Sirius. Yeah, there is something really nice about being able to, like, give good news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. 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 And you you start to feel like a wet blanket, right? When you're like, nope, still bad. Nope, still bad here at the Dursleys. Yeah. Still sucks here. Yeah. And so it's nice to be like, no, 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 no. I'm a lucky one. I actually get to do this fun thing. I mean, he's even just lucky, right, that the Quidditch World Cup is in the UK this year, right? Like, that's one of the really special things I feel like about these types of events is you just feel sort of like touched for whatever it is to be near you. I also think that Molly is probably just going to be relieved to see Harry. Like, Ron told her that, like, Harry is not eating enough, right? That's why she sent Errol with multiple cakes and tins. And I don't know, if you care about a kid and you know that they're getting abused, I cannot even imagine how torn she is about all of this, right? Like, I want to go and just take this child from this situation, right? But... Dumbledore says that it's important for a magical connection that he stay there. Well, when can I pick him up? And what is my business? And how much am I allowed to just step in? And clearly she has decided that she's just going to step in, right? And Ron belies that in his letter. He's like, if we hear back from you, we're coming. And if we don't hear back from you, guess what? We're coming at the same time. 
But I love Molly's attempt at reaching out to the Dursleys. And yeah, Yeah. this like, we're going to try to do this right. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. There's So Molly sends a letter to the Dursleys, you know, which is covered in stamps because she doesn't know how many stamps she's meant to use. And she writes a note saying, I hope there are enough stamps. And it says that there's a, like a square inch of unstamped surface area on the envelope with just a tiny scrawled address. Right. And she writes a very polite letter that says, you know, I know that he must have mentioned the Quidditch World Cup to you and that we can take care of him. And and it's very like the kind of letter that you would send to a, another parent if you're a parent and you're being very respectful. It's interesting because, you know, as as Ron's letter reveals and as you just described, like they know that Harry's being mistreated. Molly knows that he's being mistreated. Molly is one of the parental figures towards Harry. She's obviously genuinely concerned and, and wants to help him and also wants to give him a good time at the Quidditch World Cup. It's interesting, this letter, the politeness of it. It's embrace of sort of the the formalities of custom and respect. I mean, it's almost like you can see that the Weasleys sense how desperate the Dursleys are for everything to be as normal as possible, which is why they send the letter by post rather than by owl. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and they try to they try to send a normal letter from one parent to another, the normal way, whatever that means, right? But then they, because they don't know, they still get it wrong and put stamps all over the outside, right? And and, and yeah. cause the postal worker to to laugh and and raise all kinds of concerns with Vernon. I mean, what's interesting is that Molly is actually assuming a level of normalcy in that house that the Dursleys have not procured, which it yeah. is normal for your kids to tell you about the best friends in their lives at school, right? She says, you've probably heard all about us, right? Like, Harry, I'm sure has talked to you about us. And this would be normal. And I think that we just see so clearly how the Dursleys are seeking the appearance of normalcy and not actual normalcy. And, you know, again, like if we're talking about this feeling of relief, this pressure is just going to keep sitting on their shoulders as long as they are focusing so much on the appearance of normalcy, right? If they had actually tried to get to know Harry and hear about his school year and not treat it at all like it was this taboo thing, then Harry would be in better relationship with them and he would actually risk them finding out things less. He wouldn't have accidentally blown up Aunt March, which was the highest risk thing that they could have done. Hagrid wouldn't have turned Dudley's butt into a tail if they had been nice to Harry. And I feel like that is true of relief also, that we are often creating the bad circumstances for ourselves. They are making magic more powerful than it actually is. And I think it would be a great relief to them if they just stopped treating it like this huge deal. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think that like there's there are keys in here that the the language normalcy is not the right language. I, I know the series starts with, you know, the whole thing about the Dursleys being absolutely committed to the idea of normalcy. But what Molly writes in the letter is she says, we're sending this by post instead of the normal way. Normal way. Right. Right. Because normal for wizards is by owl. Right. What the Dursleys find refuge in is not in normalcy, because that doesn't actually mean anything. It's in familiarity. It's in what they already know and what they already regard as the way everything ought to be, right? That's, they project what's familiar to them, which, as we see in the case of this chapter, is a lot of fairly disturbing views towards body image and gender, right? They project those familiarities out into norms upon everyone else, right? 
Yeah. And we can even see, like, while he's reading the letter, while Vernon is reading the letter, he's talking to, to Harry, and he's asking about Quidditch, and Harry mentions that it's a sport played with broomsticks, and it's the text says that Vernon took refuge in the letter again. Like, he could not hear the word broomstick, because that was so unfamiliar like he needed to find relief in this letter that at least looked a little bit like something another muggle would send him. Yeah, I mean, it's just the relationship between normalcy and familiarity and how the Dursleys describe as normal what is actually just what they already know and are familiar with. And the the lengths to which they will go to find relief from difference, from seeing anything that's different from the way their lives are, the lengths they'll go to seek out and find that relief is is really obvious in this chapter and in some pretty ugly ways, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, a, a version of that is something that I see within myself, right? Is, you know, I just so deeply want to be relieved from the stress of my life that I will watch TV as an escape route right? But that doesn't make any of the stress go away. And I know that there are more productive ways to deal with stress, right? You know, rest, talking to someone about it, journaling. And I'm just like, I'm going to do the thing that is the quickest relief. And so I, I feel for the Dursleys. And yet the way that they handle it is not only not healthy for them, but it is abusive and immoral to others. And that is sort of the line that I draw, right? Many of us might want a glass of wine at the end of the day for some sort of like quick relief from the stress of our lives that feels impossible for us to mitigate otherwise. But this isn't a glass of wine. This is them literally setting up the way that they feed people at the house with a hierarchy. Dudley gets a bigger piece of the same thing that Harry gets as a way to make Dudley feel better. I mean, like these are really just toxic patterns. Yeah. I mean, right at the beginning of the chapter, right, we we hear that there are reports from school that Dudley's not doing well in school and to find relief from this unhappy news. Like, but parents don't want to hear that their child is not doing well in school, right? Petunia, we're told, just says, oh, he's so gifted the teachers don't understand him, <laughs> right? And Vernon says that he didn't want some sort of swarty little Nancy boy for a son anyway, like into homophobic sort of gendered conceptions of study, right? Like both of them, rather than deal with the uncomfortable fact before them, retreat into ideologies that lift them up and make them feel like they're still superior to anyone and that their son is superior to anyone who might be questioning their parenting or his his gifts. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I wish for Vernon is like not this scarcity mindset. He sees himself as entirely opposed to Harry, that they are on opposite sides of things. And I'm like, why can't you see that there are certain things that actually you both want? You both want Harry out of the house. Like that is a win-win for the two of you. But Vernon is like, no, I don't just want him not here. I actually want him suffering. And therefore, when Harry gets this invitation to go to the Weasleys into the Quidditch World Cup, it is a difficult decision for Vernon because he wants Harry out of the house, but he also wants Harry to be miserable. And it's like, this doesn't have to be something that's scarce. Like, just focus on the thing that makes you both win. You both win if Harry leaves the house. You'll feel relieved as soon as he walks out of the house. You won't have to perform this version of a diet for Dudley, right? Like, you will both be happier and it is okay if something is a win-win, even if the other person who's winning is your quote-unquote enemy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think you could apply that strategy just generally to their approach to the wizarding world and to Harry and to Petunia's family and to everything that's different for them, right? Because when we encounter something that's that's different for many of us, we might feel discomfort at first, right? But there are two ways to find relief. It's to either get comfortable or to reject, right? right? I mean, you consider Hermione's parents, who I'm sure when they got the letter from Hogwarts felt some discomfort about the idea that their daughter was a witch and that she would be going to witch boarding school, right? And what they did was like, okay, this is an uncomfortable new fact. Let's get to know it and learn to become comfortable with it. And they did and they do, Right. Whereas the Dursleys are like, oh, here's an uncomfortable thing that we did not expect. Let's reject it and condemn it and try to almost literally beat it out of Harry. Right. Like that's right. I mean, you were saying before, it's okay to seek relief from discomfort. It's okay when things are hard or stressful to seek relief. I think the question is, where are you going to find your relief? And if if you find your relief on the backs of other people. Right. If you either erase them or deny the reality of their experience or hurt them in order for you to stay comfortable in your own experience, like that's that's relief, but it's immoral. It's bad. Right. It's hurtful. It's cruel. Whereas there are other ways to find relief when when stressed and when when uncomfortable. And it has to do with what you were saying, like finding a way forward, seeing what's possible, learning something new, et cetera, et cetera. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. I mean, I think that speaks to the fact, Matt, that I think that sometimes even bad news can be a relief. Like, I'm just imagining the, the doctor's Granger getting that letter from Hogwarts and on some level, yep. receiving it as bad news that their like daughter is going to be whisked away yep. from them to a world that they don't understand. Yeah. And yet she's probably been an odd kid her whole life. And like this information just like 
clarifies and you're like, oh, okay, now we know what's going on. And like, actually that's yeah. information to move forward. And that's something that I've seen in hospital settings, as I'm sure you have as well, that sure. even a bad diagnosis can sometimes be a relief just because it means that now you can take action or now you have information. I feel like sometimes relief is about putting down one burden just to pick up another. But like that one burden, you have been carrying it for so long. Your muscles are so sore from it that just another burden is easier in that moment. Yeah, I think that's ex exactly the way to put it, right? Like re feeling relief doesn't mean that no burdens exist anymore. Like that's right. just not being human. Everyone, Everybody carries something. It just means that a particular burden that you're tired of carrying has been lifted and that, and that maybe you can focus your energies on carrying the other stuff you have to carry. Uh, yeah, I think that's right also. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about while thinking about relief in this chapter was exactly the kind of medical and healthcare situations you're talking about where folks sometimes get bad news or even lose a loved one that they've, who's been suffering and that they've been caring mm -hmm. for for a long time. And I'm not saying that anyone is happy about what's happened, but one of the things I've often counseled people with is like them feeling guilt about some relief. Right. Like, yeah, they feel some relief because the person they love is not suffering anymore and that they are not suffering, caring for the person they love. And they feel like they ought not to feel relief. And, you know, you, you just kind of listen to people and talk to them and let them know that you can feel grief and relief at the same time, that they are not mutually exclusive. The fact that one burden has been lifted doesn't mean there's not other stuff you're still carrying. And I think, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Relief is not a wholesale. It's not bliss. Right. That's not the yeah. theme this week. And that's not what we're talking about. It's it's one thing being lifted. And sometimes one thing being lifted makes it easier to carry all the other things. Yeah. And even to pick up something new. I don't mean to get too theological. And I am absolutely the atheist here. But, you know, you said something about how getting relief by attacking others. Right. Or making other people's lives harder is immoral. I think that that is actually one of the versions of the idea of God that I like, that like not only is that relief immoral, I would argue that that relief is not as complete of a relief. If you are making your own life easier by making someone else's life harder, I it is like important to me psychologically to believe like that somehow that relief is less fulfilling in that a relief that yeah. holds on to the fact that our fates are tied and that if I put down a burden too quickly in the wrong spot, it could, you know, spike up and hit someone else in the face. Or there might be the relief of me littering so I don't have to carry trash because uh, the next trash can is two miles away. But uh, like there's guilt associated with that, like an animal might find it. I, I yeah. really like I believe that the quality of that relief is is less or is different. You know, sometimes we have to do really complicated things, but yeah, I think that Harry is someone who really cares a lot in general about his relief, not being at the expense of others. Whereas the Dursleys are the antithesis of that. Although Harry does enjoy his cake more knowing that Dudley is not getting any cake. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a it's a particular relief to to go up to his room and eat his unrefrigerated treats <laughs> from under the hot floorboards because he knows that Dudley's hungry. Which is, as we were saying before, that I mean, relief is a neutral term morally. Like it's it 
sometimes I think this is not a especially virtuous form of relief that Harry is feeling. It's a recognizable one. I think all of us have enjoyed things, especially when it comes to the expense of people who maybe we feel some resentment towards. But I also think that's not a super virtuous feeling. And But it's still relief. The burden of Harry's hunger being lifted feels especially sweet, both literally and figuratively, because uh, Dudley's hungry. So Matt, there is one other place that I saw relief in this chapter, and this was just at the mention of the Quidditch World Cup. I was like, oh, to some extent, sports are about building up tension in order to relieve that tension. And that that has already started, right? It's like, we're going to buy the tickets and we're going to go to the game and we are going to root for Ireland. And we're and then Ireland is going to, right? Like, and then you place a bet to build up the tension even more. And so more is hanging on it. And you buy a shirt and you paint yourself in the colors. And like, really what you are doing is just like trying to build up to this relief of who wins and who loses, And even if your team loses, there's still relief that, like, the game has been played and transpired. And it just occurred to me, reading about the Quidditch World Cup in this context, that at the end of the game, certainly what you can feel is joy that your team won or despair about the fact that your team lost. But also, I think what everybody is feeling is relieved. The game is over. Fate has been decided. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm a sports fan, and I feel like— um, with those sporting contests where, especially when it's like a rivalry, when like there's a yeah. team you really want to beat, right? It, it hurts more that when you lose, and my team usually lose, <laughs> it hurts more when you lose. But there is something like, oh, gosh, glad we don't have to do that again for another year or another six months or whatever, however, yeah. right? Like there is some relief of just being like, at least we don't have to play them again. <laughs> and I can just have like a normal relationship whatever that means, uh, a familiar <laughs> relationship to to sports for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And the last thing I just want to say, Matt, is has nothing to do with relief. I, we've talked about this before. I don't think I have anything new to say. Yeah. But like the fat phobia in this chapter, it's like half of what happens in this chapter. Yeah. It is so annoying, the like focus on the diet. I have nothing smart to say except that it's annoying, but I just do feel like we have to name it. Yeah, I think that's right. I just want to elaborate on the kind of misogyny and the gender policing in that chapter. It's it's not just like intelligence is feminine, right? Or, or at least by Vernon's standards. But also like when he gets served the grapefruit, he just puts his paper down and looks up at Tunia, says something like, is that it? Like, I mean, just the, the expectation of subservience or service at the breakfast table just it just reinforced a lot of stuff that made me very uncomfortable and that in the context of you're exactly right like page upon page of ridiculing dudley for his size yeah it's a it's a tough read and especially because it's so obviously the text is playing these things for laughs and it just it doesn't land particularly well yeah it's not funny it's not funny no So, Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice. This week, we are going to be continuing a new spiritual practice that I introduced to us last week. It's a Buddhist reading practice called the Four Reliances. And just to sort of remind our listeners, this is actually a practice that comes out of a particular strand of the Buddhist tradition, which is concerned for like like a lot of scripture, like a lot of texts in general, sometimes meanings unclear, sometimes meanings are contradictory. And so the Buddhist tradition, especially the Madhyamaka tradition, developed this, this strategy for trying to discern what the real meaning is of a passage, especially when meanings are unclear 
or contested. And that's why it's called the four reliances, because it's asking, okay, what can you really rely on? When when you read a passage and things are unclear, what can you rely on to try to make sure you're arriving at the meaning that you should arrive at? Um, and there are four steps to it, and we went over them last week, and we'll go over them again this week. But first, I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be reviewing and reading as a sacred text for this part of the episode. Thank you so much for this, Matt. So this paragraph comes right from the beginning of the conversation that Vernon and Harry have about him potentially leaving to go with the Weasleys to the Quidditch World Cup. And this is at a particular moment where Vernon is expressing some, let's say, dismay about the number of stamps that are on the envelope and the attention that it has drawn to their house by the, the postal worker. The postal worker laughed, Vernon says, and this upsets him. So this is the passage. Harry didn't say anything. Other people might not understand why Uncle Vernon was making a fuss about too many stamps, but Harry had lived with the Dursleys too long not to know how touchy they were about anything even slightly out of the ordinary. Their worst fear was that someone would find out that they were connected, however distantly, with people like Mrs. Weasley. So the, the first of the four alliances is traditionally known as the teaching and not the teacher. And what this captures in Buddhist teaching is that, you know, every enlightenment is personal. It happens to you, not to somebody else. What a text means is what it means to you. Not even necessarily what it was intended to mean by the person who gave it to you, but like what it means to you. So the way we're in thinking through this first of the four alliances for our practice is to look at the passage, reflect upon it, and think about what question or issue it's raising for us. So what does this passage raise for you, Vanessa? Well, Matt, what's coming up for me is that I can be a prickly person. Interesting. So we have a P.O. box at Not Sorry, and I go and I pick up our mail. And I get very frustrated when the mail carrier comments about our mail. I feel like mail is private, and I don't like it when people ask me what the mail is and... I've been picking up mail in sort of public places because I lived in the dorms. And and so, yeah, I like I understand why Vernon is embarrassed in front of the mail carrier, but also is just like annoyed that the mail carrier came and, you know, sort of called special attention to this letter. I think it was really unprofessional. And I, I do think that. I don't like it when receptionists at doctor's offices ask really loudly in front of people why you're there. They value my privacy, I think, sort of a reasonable amount. But anyway, it feels like a break in some sort of civic duty that yep. the mail carrier responds like this. And and that bothers me. It's not just that the postal carrier laughed. It's also that we're told that usually the postal carrier doesn't come to the door to drop off, drop off mail. He came right. to the door in particular this time. And rang the doorbell. And rang the doorbell just so they could ask the Dursleys, what's up with this letter with all these stamps? And it's rude. Like... I mean, it is someone from another culture, but, like, obviously it's someone from another culture. So it's also, like, xenophobic, right? It's, like, it's making fun of the Dursleys just for knowing someone from another culture. I, like, I actually, this really bothers me. It's just, like, profoundly none of their business. Yeah, for me, like, there's something about this last line, and it's connected to just what you just said, that, like, the last line of the passage was their worst fear was that someone would find out that they were connected, however distantly, with people like Mrs. Weasley. Just, like, just, like this really captures, like, a lot of what 
I find kind of repellent about the behavior of the Dursleys so much in these books, which is that they find other people contaminating, right? Like, yeah. However distant, any kind of connection to another human being would sully me in some way, which is like, you know, I don't live up to my ideals as much as I would like to, but what I'd like, my ideals would be the exact opposite. Like actually right. connecting to others always enriches you. Connecting to others always makes you like better and and richer and more human and more fully realized rather than the opposite, right? And like that, it really like, it gets to the heart of what their obsession with being quote unquote normal or their fixation upon what's familiar it, it gets to the heart of like, it really is violent, right? Like that others are contaminating is the same ideology that motivates the Death Eaters in Voldemort, right? Like that people who are different can contaminate us and the Dursleys just have a different version of it. I completely agree. And I had not seen that Voldemort connection before. <sighs> Mind blown. So the second of the four reliances is traditionally described as the meaning, not the letter. So, you know, in step one, we talked about how in Buddhism, personal insight is much more important than delivered insight from somebody else. So they place a lot of emphasis on one's personal experience, or at least this tradition of Buddhism does. And the second step gets to another thing that's really characteristic of this tradition of Buddhism, which is an emphasis on sort of practical wisdom over received wisdom, right? So like whether or not you know something is different than what you do about it. And so when we say the meaning, not the letter for step two of the four alliances, one way to interpret that is like, what would you do about this? Like having had the question raised in the first step, now what are you going to do about it? Like how does this passage make you want to behave in the world or change your behavior in the world? So, you know, I heard you saying that questions of privacy and professionalism were were some themes that were coming up for you, right? Like, are there actions that emerge out of this, like ways that you feel like you're being called to to behave in the world or things that you think the passage makes you want to think about doing? I don't know. Privacy is a really hard boundary. I think about privacy a lot in terms of, you know, I'm lucky enough to run the small company and I care a lot about our employees. And then as their boss, I also feel like it is none of my business how they spend their time when they're not at work. And like, should I ask people how their weekends were? I I want to show care for them. And yet I do not want them to feel as though they have to tell me anything about their weekends. Or like, I like to give gifts. And so we are a big gift giving company. And like, you have to know things about a person, right? And so I like feel for this mail carrier that like, they want to build a relationship with the Dursleys. And yet I do not feel as though this mail carrier has given thought about the way to build relationships with people. It is not to go up, knock on their door and laugh at them. And so, yeah, I think I my action is just like really trying to walk that line between respecting people's privacy yeah. while building relationship with them. What about you? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I mean, because you could see like maybe is it possible the postal worker just like misjudged? Right. Like maybe, was trying to be like right? so like, funny like, that your aunt does this. Yeah, right. Like, I was not judging. We just like, hey, let's. I'm gonna get to know some some folks on my route. I mean, that's the that's the generous interpretation. But you're right. There is a line there because intimacy and privacy can be at odds, right? And if you want to build intimacy with someone, that means 
inviting them to be less private. But when there are power dynamics at play, it gets really complicated. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. What does it make you think of? I mean, I was thinking about the place I ended up, which was this question of like how others can contaminate. Mm-hmm. Like this, this lie, this lie that other human beings can contaminate us, quote unquote, us, whoever us is, right? I mean, that's just such a deep poison in Western culture. I mean, in a lot of cultures, but I'm, you know, my dominant culture is from the West. And it's also a deep part of Japanese culture. So even my Eastern culture, like all the cultures that mainly influence me are deeply tied to these ideologies of of sort of the other as contaminant. And I think in just in my role as, as a minister in the Christian church, the Christian church has been more inclined to do this than maybe any major institution in the history of human life. And so one of the things I really think about a lot and try to wrestle with is overcoming the kind of momentum of that history, the one I kind of participate in as an individual, but also institutionally and in trying to think about how we can undo all the predilections and presumptions of my various traditions that incline towards exactly the ideology that Vernon's talking about, that others are contaminants, that, that there's some purity that can be achieved or something, that those are all really poisonous things and problematic things. And we yeah. can see the harm they cause in the world all around us. So the third of the four reliances is how the traditional name is the definitive and not the interpreted. This is a very tricky one. What we're really doing here is trying to point to like the deeper truth of the passage. So an example of the definitive versus the interpreted is that they would say that there's a deeper wisdom that words describe, but can describe variously. And it's trying to get through that variance towards something deeper. So the example I gave last week was, you know, there are 10 different ways to say it's raining outside. All of those different ways point to one singular truth, which is that it's raining outside, right? So like, what is the truth behind this passage? So let me read it one more time. Harry didn't say anything. Other people might not understand why Uncle Vernon was making a fuss about too many stamps. But Harry had lived with the Dursleys too long not to know how touchy they were about anything even slightly out of the ordinary. Their worst fear was that someone would find out that they were connected, however distantly, with people like Mrs. Weasley. So this is kind of like the sode. Maybe it's not like the sode, but I think it's kind of like the sode. Like, what is the deeper thing which is operating under these lines that the passage is pointing us towards? I mean, I, the passage is pointing me toward the Dursleys don't know what their deepest fear is. It says that their worst fear is that they'd be found out that they were connected with with people like Mrs. Weasley. And I don't think that they've like role played out what that is, right? Yeah. Like what what would that entail? You know, and yeah. and actually most likely like the misuse of magic office would come in and obliviate the memory of anyone who found out because there are really high stakes for um the wizarding community for that to happen as well. And so they're just like generalized anxiety yeah. has become like so inarticulate to themselves that they are just like, it's like an animal in a trap, right? It's just like hurting itself and others, even if you're trying to help it. And so I, I'm just like curious what their worst fear actually is because it can't even be social exile because they've self-exiled, yeah. right? And like, and they are constantly trying to like put distance between them yeah. and their neighbors. They have the nicest car. They have the nicest lawn. So I, I'm just like curious what their fear even is. Um, and I certainly don't think that they know what their fear is. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think that, and that kind of leads into what 
what I'm thinking about is like the deeper truth of this because as as I reread it, the word that really mm-hmm. jumped out was that word ordinary, which is a lot like the word normal. I'm going to lean into the Buddhist maybe ideas here a little bit, but like ordinary is an illusion, right? It's a it's not real in any permanent or or fundamental sense. And if what they're afraid of has to do with the ordinary, then their fear is an illusion too, right? I mean, now it's getting very Buddhist, right? All this stuff is illusory, right? But yeah, I think maybe the deeper truth this is pointing to is that all their fear is generated around an idea of something which isn't even real, which is constructed, which they're just kind of leaning into because it orders their lives, which means their fear is a lie too, right? Like it's, I mean, it feels real and it, and it obviously it, it has real impact in the world, but it's all based upon fairly evanescent ideas. The last of the four reliances privileges the wisdom over the rational. And this is a lot like the second reliance where practical experience just has more weight in interpretive practices in Buddhism than conceptual knowledge. But this step is more about experience. So this is more to reflect upon your own experiences, like especially the way you've been thinking about this passage so far, like where are there experiences in your life where you can see either living into or failing to live into some of the things that we've been talking about? So I'll read it one more time. Harry didn't say anything. Other people might not understand why Uncle Vernon was making a fuss about too many stamps, but Harry had lived with the Dursleys too long not to know how touchy they were about anything even slightly out of the ordinary. Their worst fear was that someone would find out they were connected, however distantly, with people like Mrs. Weasley. I've been experimenting with silence more in my life. When other people are anxious near me, I feel like I usually like ask follow-up questions, try to help them figure out what will work best, or just tell them my opinion about how they can make it better. And I've really just been trying to like, I don't know, give space to let people spin their wheels and also not rise to bait. (laughs) Because I also think that often when people are anxious, they try to provoke other people, right? They act out. And yeah, I'm worried that sometimes my silence is passive aggressive. And so I just see Harry's silence here, right? Harry didn't say anything as he's like watching Vernon just spin his wheels. But I think Harry is correct in this moment that anything he would say would just make it worse. Like Vernon needs a minute to process. And I want to be silent in the way that Harry is silent when I think it will be helpful and not when it is like a power move. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Uh, think about that last sentence again, you know, kind of following this thread in my thoughts and reflections about the Dursley's worst fear being that they, someone would find out they were connected to someone like Mrs. Weasley. The experiences that had me reflecting upon was sort of like the moments in my life when I was the contaminant, right? Like when someone found me other enough to not want to be connected yeah. to me. There aren't many, and I'm pretty lucky about that, I think. I've lucked into a lot of identities that, you know, are part of the dominant culture, and that just that just had me reflect about how lucky I am, right? Like how many privileges I enjoy, how comfortable it is to to not be on the wrong end of that, and it's just it had me has me reflecting upon the experience of that privilege of being free enough not to have to to feel like I'm the contaminant in a lot of the situations. I mean, it's happened to me because of some identities I have, but more often than not, it doesn't happen, and I think that's the thing for somebody like me to pay attention to. Matt, I like this practice so much. It's really lovely and. Thank you so much. Yeah, and one of the things that's emerging for me is it really shows how this particular strand of Buddhism really does emphasize personal insight and practical experience in interpretation. That 
I think that's something that we already do in Harry Potter and Sacred Text. So I think that, or I hope that it fits well into our continuing practice. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from an anonymous listener. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I just finished listening to book three, chapter nine, Grim Defeat, through the three theme of rehabilitation. Um, I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I work in a hospital in a rehabilitation unit, and um, Etymology Corner really helped me understand my own job a little bit better. Um, I frequently counsel patients and their families when we have to have those tough conversations that the patient probably won't get back to exactly where they were after their stroke or their traumatic brain injury um, and what we can do to help get them as close to where they were. Um, whether we're using a communication device or the occupational therapist will be using adaptive silverware or adaptive equipment of any kind to help them walk or get back to be able to do those things, even if it isn't fully restorative. Um, and I think I might start using some etymology in my work now to um, help people understand that we don't call it a restorative unit, we call it a rehabilitative unit. Um, to help them to be able to do what they were doing before their injury. Um, much like Wolfsbane Potion, 
isn't helping Lupin not be a werewolf prior to his injury. It's helping him to just be able to get through life with this injury. Um, he still is a werewolf. It's not getting rid of, it's not completely restoring him back to not being a werewolf anymore. Um, so this is a blessing for all of those people that are grieving the idea of rehabilitation instead of restoration. Um, it's a hard thing to recognize that you might need to use something that you weren't using before to get through your day, but that you'll still be able to, and that's what's really important. Um, it's still a tough thing to get through, though, so blessings to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bless you for the, the work you do in uh, helping folks deal with some of these difficult things and helping them rehabilitate after traumatic brain injuries or strokes or other things that cause speech difficulties and speech loss. And also just thanks for the, the voice memo in. I think for a person like me who's a teacher, like the greatest joy is when some arcane and possibly useless fact that you share with someone actually bears out as usefulness in the world where a person is doing good work and actually transforming people's lives and making good. It makes, you know, the the silly little facts I share seem less <laughs> less silly when people take them up and use them to to improve others' lives. So thank you for the work you do and thanks for letting us know that you're doing such good work. Now it's time for us to name those members of our community who have been loved and lost. Luli Murtanimi, 99, a great-grandmother who's full of love. Aiden, three weeks, who touched many hearts. Beverly Silverman, 97, an athlete ahead of her time and the best grandmother anyone could ever have asked for. Grandma Bibi, 89, a wild artist and friend to children. Dustin Wagstaff, 43, who was loud-mouthed and a devoted family man. Bruce Basso, 60, a horse lover and cowboy who was generous, strong, and had a big heart. Frank Castle, 93, a farmer, reader, and storyteller. Uncle Robert, 47, gone too soon and missed for over two years. Deborah Baylor, 56, a mother, social worker, and friend. Ann Johnson, 82, a beloved grandma, an exceptional caretaker. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I would like to bless Ron and Molly for their letter tag team. I love that they had a communication plan. I feel like they had a strategic meeting and they were like, you send a letter to Vernon. 
you send a letter to Harry. We don't know how long muggle mail takes, but it probably takes a couple of days. So, you know, you'll mail this on Tuesday and then I'll send mine on Friday and we are going to, you know, collaborate in a message. And I just, I think communication is really important and that it involves strategy. And I love the tones of both of these emails. Molly's is so warm and respectful and Ron's is so funny and generous and just love a tag team communication plan. What about you, Matt? Who would you like to bless? I would like to bless Hagrid. I think almost every week, even when he's not in the chapters, I want to bless Hagrid. But this week, I'm blessing Hagrid for sending rock kicks to Harry. You know, we'll talk more about this in our Patreon Every Flavor Bean segment. But among treats that Harry has sent, it may be that only the rock cake can survive the life under the floorboards. I mean, it's true. You know, hardtack, the the sailors in the old days on the ships at sea, they would have like hard little cakes because they would not decompose. I feel like Hagrid has found the niche for his rock cakes. Send them to Harry in the summer. And then Harry will have sustenance. So blessings to Hagrid for being generous and for not really knowing that nobody likes to eat his rock cakes. God bless his innocence. Well, Matt, next week we are reading the chapter Back to the Burrow, chapter four, through the theme of fun. That will be so fun. I can't wait to tell a story about fun. And I can't wait for all the fun we will have discussing fun. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have pilgrimages that you can join. We have a NaNoWriMo write a romance novel with us class that you can join. We have Harry Potter summer camp that you can join. Find out more about each of these by going to notsorryworks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas, who we love very much. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to our anonymous listener who left us a voicemail this week and for the work that they do. Talara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, Hannah Rehack, and everyone who sent in the names of their lost loved ones this week. And I can't wait for all the fun we will have discussing fun. Oh, my God. Fun, 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 fun. Oh, God. I just quoted the Rebecca Black song Friday. I was like, why is this in my head? Oh, (laughs) fun, 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 fun. Okay, great.